minors get into sex work because um, things like poverty, systemic racism, and lack of protections and rights. Um, if we treat sex, if we treated sex work just as any other form of labour, I think this would be a good start in reducing the amount of underage people who were involved in the industry. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Prostasia Foundation's podcast vodcast series: Sex, Human Rights, and CSA Prevention. I am very fortunate to be joined today by not one but two special guests. We have Lola Hunt and Eliza Sorensen, who are two out of the three founders of Sex Worker and Technologist Collective, Assembly 4 from Australia. Welcome, Lola and Eliza. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. So for those of us who haven't heard of Assembly 4 before, uh, please give us a, a brief rundown of who you are and what are the major projects that you're running. So I'm Lola and this is Eliza, as you said. Um, I'm a sex worker based in Melbourne and Eliza is an infosec. Um, we are two of the three co-founders of Assembly4. Uh, we're a small group of sex workers and technologists who have been working to develop products for sex workers. Um, we've so far launched two platforms, uh, the first being Twitter and the second being Tristlink. Uh, Twitter is a sex worker friendly social network um, which was launched in, launched in response to Foster Sesta and the shadow banning of, of sex workers accounts from sites like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, Trislink is our improvement on modern advertising for escorts. We sort of found that the current advertising options were not only extremely expensive for what they were but they were also quite disrespectful towards sex workers um, and extremely outdated, so we knew that we could improve upon that. So you mentioned in that answer Foster Sester, um, which is the sort of, it was framed as an anti-sex trafficking law, but uh, really just a broader attack on sex workers, wasn't it? Um, and uh, it's interesting that one of the things that Assembly Forum and Prostasia Foundation have in common is we were both formed partly as a response to that, um, in your case to serve sex workers and in our case to promote some better ways of combating child sexual abuse. So my question to you is how daunting was it for you to attempt to fill the void left by the demise of Backpage and what are some of the challenges that you faced in trying to bring these new uh, services uh, online? Okay, so um, when we launched Twitter, um, we actually had no idea that Backpage was going to be seized in the first place. So we were totally unprepared for the influx of users that we saw. Um, but one of the biggest challenges by far was working out how we were going to support a new platform that had thousands of users joining it each day um, in an industry that is highly discriminated against. Um, we knew that Twitter needed a huge amount of attention and juggling, that our, juggling our day jobs with this probably was going to be borderline impossible. So um, we also knew that taking investment wouldn't work on a project like this as investors are usually financially driven and focused, which we knew was inappropriate given the industry and a major flaw in some of the other business models that we saw. Um, we decided to bootstrap the project with a few months of runway up our sleeve and Trist was born. So Trist is our verified, uh, Trist is our verified and paid ad platform um, and it became the solution for funding Twitter. Um, but Trist has its own sort of problems, of course, um, like taking payments, ensuring workers' data is stored outside of the US. So SESTA Foster is a US law. You're based in Australia, right? So. Um, how are Australia's laws better than US laws when it comes to hosting sites like Swist and Twitter? Uh, sorry, Trist and Twitter. <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, 
I'm not a lawyer, so I don't feel exactly qualified to say which laws are worse and better within Australia, but I think the primary difference between the two countries is how the US views sex work and how we view it. Um, sex work, for the most part, is a regulated and legalised industry. Um, but Australia has six states and two territories. <laughs> I feel like, oh, God, <laughs> do I have it right? Um, with different rules and regulations, which makes it really confusing for not only workers but for services um, trying to service sex workers around the Australia. Um, I think to ensure continued safety of sex workers, um, online and offline, we need decriminalisation. Decriminalisation is the only way we're going to be able to see platforms service sex workers in a way that's not evil. <laughs> yeah, essentially. And I know that Australia also in some ways has uh, more strict laws when it comes to things like obscenity and so on. Has that been a problem for you? Um, not as yet, but we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. And this is one of the things. Laws can change. They, they, they can change day by day. We, we we're seeing laws being passed up for COVID, um, which is limiting sex workers' rights to work in Australia, despite the fact that massage parlors and things like that will be allowed to go a stage earlier. Um, we already see discriminatory practices day by day. Um, Unless we have legislation um, allowing sex workers to be seen as just a labourer, we're not going to be able to say we can protect you. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so laws aren't the only battlefield for, um, for the sex work abolitionist groups. They're also currently leading a campaign to have the credit card companies deplatform adult websites. Um, have payments been a difficult area for you? you? You sort of alluded to that already, but tell us a bit more about how you managed to... Uh, to, to juggle the, these real real problems with payments? Yeah, so um, payments, as you can imagine, um, have been extremely difficult for us. Um, when we started building out Trist, we knew that mainstream US-based payment facilities like Stripe and PayPal were kind of off, 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 off the cards. Um, but we thought that because we were an Australian-based um, business that Australian facilities and banks would take us on um, as as Eliza said, sex work is legal in most states and territories in Australia. Um, we thought that getting a payment facility would maybe take us a few months, um, but we ended up being knocked back by, I think it was six or seven. Um, I think six banks officially, and yeah. I think the other bank was like, just don't bother. Just don't even bother, which is obviously awful. Um, uh, and the process actually ended up taking us about a year to actually execute. Um, unfortunately for us and many other sex workers, the Anti-Discrimination Act in Australia doesn't cover a person's sexual labour, sexual preferences or sexual, um, sorry, not sexual preferences, sexual activity or sexual practices. So we were unable to sort of make any formal complaint against this as well. Um, it's a really complicated issue, but one of the reasons why we have these problems with financial institutions is the lack of distinction between sex trafficking and consensual sex work. Yeah. Um, visa, for example, like you're probably fully aware of this as well, but um, Visa, for example, has a claw in their core rule set, which reads, a member must not use visa-owned mark visa-owned marks, I'm just going to read this off the screen right now, um, in relation to or for the purchase or trade of photographs, video imagery, computer-generated images, cartoons, simulation, or any other media or activities, including but not limited to any of the following, child pornography, bestiality, rape, or any other non-consensual sexual behaviour, and that one is one to know, um, non-consensual mutilation or 
of a person or a body part. As you know from buying anything online, MasterCard and Visa and American Express are three of the main ways to accept payment online. So when US-based companies make up the backbone of global online payment facilities, companies who work with them, such as Stripe, banks, PayPal, etc., choose to avoid servicing sex workers to reduce the risk of losing the payment facilities, so which is obviously problematic. Um, what is interesting yet unsurprising is that they don't consider other forms of non-consensual work, i.e. forced labor, as high risk, so you don't see them putting the same restrictions on domestic sites, like Airtasker, for example. So it seems that it seems to come down to what the US deems as palatable and not palatable. Mm. So um, the next step after Foster in the war on sex and internet platforms, at least in the United States, is going to be the Earn It Act. Um, is this on your radar and are there any lessons uh, from the fight against Foster that you think that sex workers and allies should be bringing to the fight against the Earn It Act? Yeah, unfortunately, the Earned Act is on our radar. I think it should be on everyone's radar. Um, but sex workers are some of the fiercest activists on the planet and have found such creative ways to advocate for themselves despite every platform pushing them off. Um, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think one of the things I'm going to mainly speak to allies here is educate yourself on the problem. Don't go in uneducated and try and take away from other people's voices. We hear that so often. Um, if you are in the position to donate money, um, I know COVID is making everyone um, a little bit wary on donating at the moment, but give your money to the people who are fighting these um, legit pieces of legislation. We really need money. Um, if you're in the US, call your reps. If you know someone in the US, make them call your reps. Um, we need people to show their concern. Um, the legislation hasn't passed. We, we still have time to prevent this from happening. Yeah, so um, there's, there's an alternative, as, as you probably know, the um, Invest in Child Safety Act, which, uh, which we're uh, supporting, Prostasia Foundation is supporting with some amendments. Um, even there, I think there's an overemphasis uh, possibly on enforcement. What uh, we, everyone wants to see people who are committing sexual crimes to, you know, to be, to, to have to pay the price for that. But what they often don't realise is that there's a whole lot of um, enforcement um, uh, resources that are, are diverted into consensual sex work and um, and that unless you lay down real, real clear boundaries on, you know, this has to be just for child exploitation crimes, then uh, this money is just going to be wasted on, on prosecuting consensual sex workers. Um, that's not really a question. I, I just thought <laughs> I'd throw that in. Um, I, do you have a position on the uh, Invest in Child Safety Act? Have you looked at it yet? I haven't. Oh, you I, I've looked at it. Um, I think that there are some things that do need to be changed, and there's yeah. organisations for yourself and the EFF who have um, stated what they believe need to be changed. Um, they have folks at their um, disposal who actually understand legislation to what is, how it can be applied. And we know in the United States, you have to be very specific, otherwise it'll just paint everything. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Otherwise, no one wants to see people getting hurt. I don't want our sites to be used for anyone to, to, to be used to be get hurt, yeah. um, especially around children. We 
we work so hard and we have so much resources dedicated to that specific thing. And it's really harmful when people assume malice on our part. Yeah. Um, it's, it makes it harder for us to get help as well. Yeah. I think part of the problem is that um, people who are um, opposed to um, sex work and, um, and adult content online sort of lump those into a category of immorality and they assume that immorality if you know if you're if you're immoral in in that sense then you don't really care about child safety you don't care about you know child sexual abuse which is, is totally unfair and, and untrue um having having said that i i guess we're all agreed that you know there are minors who do attempt to go into sex work before they're of age and that that is a problem that has to be address, addressed in some way. Um, and, and there are always going to be ways for them to do that. Like as, for as long as there are, you know, communication apps, especially encrypted communication apps, um, you know, minors are going to congregate to those to, 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 to join the industry maybe before they're, they're ready. Um, what can we do about that? What's the best tactic to either stop them from attempting to do sex work or to help them at least when they're in that situation? So I think that, um, I think that obviously this is a big problem, but um, I think that this could be said for many other kinds of labour as well. Um, and I think that there's a bigger picture here that people often miss because they're so focused on the sexual element of it. Um, trafficking and minors get into sex work uh, so trafficking victims and things like that, um, and minors get into sex work because um, things like poverty, systemic racism, and lack of protections and rights. Um, if we treat sex, if we treated sex work just as any other form of labour, I think this would be a good start in reducing the amount of underage people who were involved in the industry. Um, I think this would mean decriminalising it so that workers are able to go to law enforcement safely when they are sexually assaulted or raped um, and prosecuting those people who do violate and do abuse sex workers so that they, are, um, they aren't out there raping people as we know that they continue to do after they do this with sex workers. Mm. Um, and at a much larger scale, I think reducing the poverty rate would so that minors don't feel the need to get into sex work to survive in the first place would do a huge thing. Um, I'm not a US citizen, but I'm going to plug Medicare for All here um, as a start to that solution. In Australia, where we have a free public Medicare system, I know that if my friend who's a personal trainer has to go to the hospital for whatever reason, she's not going to walk out with a 150k bill on her head, which would throw her instantly into poverty and her job wouldn't be able to cover it. Um, so while it's easy to point the finger at online platforms facilitating a lot of this stuff, taking these spaces away doesn't actually solve the root of the problem. And in many cases, these th it makes things increasingly more dangerous for the most vulnerable people trying to survive. That is a story that I've heard over and over about Foster, yes. Um, so just uh, switching tack, uh, one of the most interesting things about Assembly 4 is that it is a collective that brings together sex workers and technologists. I think, Eliza, you're a technologist by by training, aren't you? Yes, yes, I am. I've uh, been working in the industry for over 15 years in various roles, but I've settled in mo me <laughs> mostly information security and uh, privacy. So tell us a little about um, the networking between sex workers and technologists that you've been involved in. Uh, what are the interests that these two groups have in common? 
Um, I think there's a larger overlap with hackers and sex workers than there is technologists. Um, we run uh, digital privacy um, work groups and things like that, but I think what most people think, when they think about hackers, they think about someone in a basement with a black hoodie, you know, or on rollerblades, uh, <laughs> screaming hack the planet. But sex workers are the ultimate hackers. Um, they have systems working against them all the time. The structures are built around them against them. Um, despite that, they're the world's oldest profession. <laughs> they have found ways to survive and thrive. Um, yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. So what is one common misconception about sex work and the internet that you'd like to clear up? Um, one for me is, um, and I think I mentioned it previously, but, um, yeah, removing people, removing sex workers or any community from the internet doesn't actually solve the root of the problem and causes more harm than it does good. So, um, yeah, that not being the solution <laughs> would be great. <laughs> Who should our viewers or listeners be following on social media to learn more about the issues that we've been talking about today? All right. So I have a handful, um, but I won't, I won't, I'll try and be quick with it <laughs> because there's a, there's a few. Um, so first one, a lot of these are on Twitter. Um, most of them are on Twitter actually. So I definitely recommend jumping over there if you're not on the platform already. Um, first one is hacking and hustling. Um, you might've heard of them before if you're already familiar with the sex worker scene. Um, they're a group of sex workers and technologists like us, um, based in the U S who have been fighting discriminatory and damaging legislation like, um, the earn it bill and foster SESTA. Um, they've been doing some really, really interesting stuff as well as providing, um, some really interesting resources for sex workers globally, which is really cool. Um, the next one is um, Maggie Mayhem, who is a sex workers' rights activist. Again, if you're in the scene, you might know of her already. Um, but she's a speaker as well, and she's done. She's written a lot on foster sister. Um, one of my personal favourites at the moment, and I'm a little bit obsessed, um, is um, Chanel Gallant. And I'm sorry if I've mispronounced that name. I've only ever read it and written it. Um, but uh, she's involved in a number of sex worker rights groups, including um, Butterfly and um, MSWP. Um, Chanel, I believe, is an active sex worker. Could be wrong on that. Um, but um, she provides a very... Uh, articulate insight into what it is to be a sex worker and why we do what we do. Um, I haven't really seen many people express themselves in a digestible way the way that Chanel does, um, and I personally have found that an invaluable resource in how I communicate with people outside of the industry as well as through my own education. Um, they've also been in the industry for, or an activist in the industry for over 20 years. So they're very well versed on a lot of topics outside of sex work as well, including um, capitalism, patriarchy, systemic racism and things like that. So I find that super, super interesting. Um, the next two are uh, Molly Smith and Juno Mack. Um, they are the authors of Revolting Prostitutes, which is an excellent book, which I highly recommend. Um, and it gives you a fantastic rundown on the history of sex workers' rights and uh, sort of what we've come up against over the years. Um, the next one is I Promise There's Only Four. <laughs> There's a massive list. <laughs> There's only four. Um, 
The next one is um, Lorelai Lee. Uh, she's a writer and a porn performer who does a lot of research into Foster Sesto and um, internet legislation, so a lot of writing on it. Um, the next two are um, sex workers' rights activists that I have to throw in there. Um, again, sorry if I mispronounced the name, um, but um, Kate Deyamo and um, Thought Scholar. They are both involved in hacking and hustling and they're both fantastic um, sex workers' rights activists. I definitely encourage people to follow them. Um, and, of course, um, Melissa Guerra-Grant, who is the author of Playing the Whore. Um, and she's done a lot of research into sex work and justice. So definitely recommend that. Did you have any before I take over? Uh, the EFF, they're, they're yes. fantastic. Um, yes, everyone should follow them. <laughs> oh, and Maggie McNeil. Oh, my gosh. Maggie McNeil, of course, because she yes. has done a lot of writing on Maggie is fantastic. And she's a fantastic actress. Indeed. Uh, and uh, we did a podcast interview with her as well, which people can check out. What did you <laughs> yes. Um, I'm going to link all of those resources that you just mentioned in the text uh, part of the podcast and podcast so that people can find them. Uh, now, so this isn't really a fully formed question, but one thing that I've come to a realisation of is that the reason why we take such a different approach to, um, to child protection and specifically to child sexual abuse prevention than some other groups is... A different mindset. Um, so on the one hand, it's definitely true that child sexual abuse is gross and disgusting, but framing it as primarily a problem of it being gross and disgusting is what tends to draw in people's homophobia, transphobia, and, and their, their opposition to sex work and adult content in general. I think we have to reframe it. I mean, it is true that it's gross and disgusting, but I think we have to reframe it as instead of that being the main problem, the main problem is that it's um, a consent violation and that it's harmful, that it causes harm. Um, how do you think that we can, I, on, a, on a social level, over time, shift the narrative around uh, sexual abuse from how gross it is to how harmful and, and how much of a consent violation it is. Is that something that you think we can do over time? Because uh, it seems to me that's where a root, the root of a lot of the problems lies. Do you want to say anything? Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> if, you, if you'd like. <laughs> you go for a bit. Though. Um... That, that's a really interesting thing. I yeah. think until, as a society, we understand consent, yeah. we're not going to be able to move to that point where we say um, child sex victims are uh, is uh, an act of harm. Yeah. Um, but it's a. I think it would be a better concept than what we have now because at the moment it also shames the victims. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it does nothing for them. It makes... People who are involved in the industry feel better about themselves. Um, yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, it's been delightful to talk to you both. Uh, I am really happy at the uh, success that you've, you've seen so far with both of your projects and uh, hoping you enjoy much continued success into the future. Thanks so much for having thank us. <laughs> and thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back again next month with another episode of Sex, Human Rights and CSA Prevention. And if you want to make sure you don't miss it, please subscribe in your podcast software of choice or by clicking this button if you're watching on YouTube. Please also donate to help support our work if you can. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you again next month.
Bye for now.